They have some great worship songs this morning. Every time we sing one, I think, that's my favorite. That's my new favorite. <laughs> for some of those that we've been singing for a very long time, great words, great power to them, the tunes that make those memorable. So the last six, seven months, we've had a theme on Sunday mornings, and you may have been coming the last six, seven months and not picked it up yet. <laughs> It's on that blue banner across the top of your bulletin. Love is what? Love is stronger. The extraordinary power of the love of God. I thought if there's one message I'd love to just shout across Lafayette, Louisville, Superior, Boulder, Broomfield, Erie, it would be that God is love. We've been exploring the possibility since we don't have a permanent place to meet and can't put up a permanent sign is to rent some sign space just east of here along Highway 7 and put it on a farmer's field with a big sign about our church. And as we were talking about that, I I thought it would be better than just saying Valley Community Church to say something like, love is stronger, the extraordinary power of the love of God, because that's really the idea you want people to get and to be drawn to. I think it is probably the thing that we miss the most in Christianity is that character of God who is loving and that expression of his love and that characteristic of his people to be a loving people. So a few people have asked me, how long do you plan on going on this series? Kind of like, how long do you plan on preaching this morning? (laughs) How long? And I thought, you know what? We could go on for a very, very long time. So I think what we'll do is we'll stick with that phrase, love is stronger, and use it a lot, but I'm going to move on. And this morning, it's, it's really a response to the extraordinary power of the love of God. It is a response to love is stronger, and that is this, your story to tell. Now, we have such an incredible, wonderful, marvelous message to share. And that creates anxiety for me. (laughs) I don't know about you, but whenever I start to think about telling someone else about God, about Christ, about responsibility that the Lord has given to us, go and tell all the world, tell all the people groups, go tell all the nations, whether it's in Russia or Indonesia or Kitwe, Zambia or Durango or Lafayette. And I think, am I going to go out these doors and start evangelizing? Now, does that create anxiety for you? Now, you may be different than me, but it creates anxiety for me. And I've had a lot of theological training. I've read through my Bible a lot of times. I believe I have a, a healthy walk with the Lord. But it does, for me, create some pressure. And I, I think, how do I respond to that? When you have something that is so good, so powerful, so great, so wonderful, like the love of God... It's just natural. You want to talk about it. It's how can you keep a good thing silent? 
And that's like that with anything else. If you found a good restaurant or, or you went to a good movie or you had a great vacation or you had a wonderful experience or you listened to this song and you're really, really excited about something, you love to tell about it. You love to tell about it. God so loved the world. What an amazing thought. I do, when I think of reaching this area, our, our world, our Jerusalem, our Boulder Valley, our Broomfield and Erie and Longmont, when I think of reaching him with the gospel, it does cause me a little bit of tension. I'm nervous, probably about being rejected, about what people will say, about what I'm going to say. I feel like I'm not qualified. You think, good grief. (laughs) You're not qualified? I just, I don't care how much education you've had. I don't care how much you've studied. You still kind of feel like, who am I to go up and talk to someone about the love of God? They also I think of, it it seems like such an impossible goal. In other words, if we were to say, what would the love of God seek to accomplish? All of Boulder coming to Christ. Now you think, that's impossible. Well, I read several times in the Scripture, nothing is impossible with God. And that He is not willing that any should perish, but that all, 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 should come to repentance. So the Great Commission creates anxiety. I feel unqualified. I'm nervous. I feel like it's an impossible goal. How is it that we have that accomplished? So as a Christian, as a church of gathering of Christians, God's given us the responsibility to take this message to the remotest part of the earth, which some of our global partners are doing. And He says to us, we walk out the doors, go tell the good news. Go evangelize. In other words, that's telling the good news of the love of God. So how do we do that? How does Valley Community approach this? To be honest with you, I I feel, I approach this with fear and trepidation because if I were to try to get you all excited about some program, about in some strategy about here's how we're going to reach this community with the gospel and it's not of God we're in trouble the last thing we need is another work of man we need a work of God salvation is of God not of man and so I think that as pastors we stand a greater judgment, a greater scrutiny, a greater responsibility in the sense that God does hold us accountable of how we lead, how we shepherd, how we encourage. In my prayer in this as a pastor for you, is through this study, your story to tell, that you could go from fear and anxiety and uncertainty to joy and excitement and confidence about sharing your faith. Your story to tell. That is my objective. <clears throat> I've seen many programs. In fact, 
when I start to consider how do we do this, immediately I'll pull out my pen and paper. I, I have a yellow pad at home. You know, I got stacks of yellow pads. I don't know if that's what you write, but I'm just writing ideas, 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 ideas. We do not need another program for men. We do not just need classes. It wasn't, if you look back to the way Jesus trained his disciples, I didn't see them carrying, or of course we don't have TV or, or, watch, or be able to watch them by, by video or television, but uh, nothing about notebooks they were carrying around or classes they were taking, courses, or mass evangelism. Here's my conclusion, and I want to try to say this as simply as I can. How is the world reached with the gospel? One life at a time. One life at a time. One day at a time. One conversation at a time. That's how people are reached. Now, I call this the power of one. Now, the way that I would tend to do things was I would figure out how we could do the most all at once. We would rent out Mile High Stadium. (laughs) I would find the greatest preacher in the world. And we would schedule meetings, not only at Mile High Stadium, but all across the country every night. And I think I've shared this with you before, but, but that's not really the way Jesus did it. In fact, when he even preached to the 5,000, how many of them ended up following him? Now, they enjoyed the free lunch. (laughs) They enjoyed his teaching. But when it came down to really following him, he turned around one time. He said, where have they gone? Will you also go away? This is not the methodology that Jesus had the evangelistic crusade. I'm not criticizing evangelistic crusades. Some of you may have come to Christ through an evangelistic crusade, but I'm saying that that is not the norm. So if Matt Olson, in all of his ingenuity, found the greatest preacher, the stadium, lined things up, got workers and volunteers and counselors and everything and set everything up, and we had a meeting at Mile High Stadium. I know it's Invesco Field, but it's for me, it's, is that still Invesco or is it something else now? They're going to change that. It's still mile high to me. But let's, let's say that the first night, we saw 3,000 people get saved. They came to Christ. Would you be excited about that? In one night. And we did it another night and another night and another night. And then we went to Cleveland. We went to Chicago. We went to L.A. And then every single night... 3,000 people come to Christ. Say, man, we are on a roll. We are on a roll. We would feel very, very successful because we're packing out stadiums. We're seeing people come forward. Do you know how how long it would take to reach 7 billion people? Doing it that way every night. I mean, we're we're on we're feeling spectacular. We're feeling like wow, wow, amazing. Can you believe that? Three thousand, three thousand, three thousand. We're just riding a high. It will take us over five thousand years to reach this world. We're not even making a dent. Here's the other problem. We're not making disciples. 
That doesn't say we're making disciples. The command is go make disciples. In other words, make followers of me, not just converts. That is part of it. Coming to Christ is part of it. But you're just beginning. But let's say, let's say, Noah, you sit in the front, so you're always getting it. So I'm not going to use you. I'm going to use your sister. So Olivia, come on, stand up. Okay, let's say, it works better with a guy. Okay, come here. She's a lot better looking than you. Let's say, okay, one, one year, okay, one year, I pour into one guy. That's it. One life. One life. But I teach him everything I know. We do everything together. We talk about everything. We read the scriptures together. We pray together. We go through trials together. We're, we're talking through issues together. But I pour my life into one, into one. In a whole year, he's saying, man, you are not getting much traction because the other method, 3,000 every night, 365 times a year, you know how many people are being saved? This is just one, just one, just one. But let me tell you about the power of one. This one, next year, I'm helping coach him along as he finds a friend, leads him to Christ, spends the same kind of time I did with him. He learns it from life experience. And it's built on relationship. You see New Testament Christianity, it's, a, it's built on relationship. You can go ahead and sit down. I know you love standing there in front of everybody. I see this. The Great Commission is fulfilled through relationships. One life at a time, one day at a time, one conversation at a time. Now, at the end of the year, we don't have a lot to show for it. But next year, you got four people involved. I've got one, he's got one, there are four of us total. You say, I think you know where I'm going because I've, I've, I've used this kind of math before. People go, I don't know about that. How long does it take to reach 7 billion people? 35 years. Now, I realize you're going to have, someone's not going to work. You're going to have like Jesus did. He had Judas. Paul had John, Mark, and Demas. You're not going to, you're not going to, but, but what I'm saying, the power of one is exponential. And it is multiplying disciples. So I'm not just adding, adding converts, 3,000 at a whack, at the big, grandiose, tremendous conference. One life is being changed by one life. That's the way Jesus did it. You think back now, three and a half years, after three and a half years of ministry, and he's going to the cross, how many were with him? I mean, even the 12 were kind of, <laughs> they're kind of skittish, aren't they? 12. He comes back and he meets in the upper room. How many were up there? 120. Where were the thousands? Thousands weren't, thousands weren't even active yet, but, but 12 men, and I think it was, more, it was more like 120 because you had other true disciples whose lives had been touched in a personal, real, relational way. They had become disciples, and they began to reproduce. And when you multiply a number, pretty soon it just explodes. Now, here's what we have to get to realize the way that Boulder Valley 
will be reached. It's not us standing on the street corner and seeing masses saved. It's not going to be engineering some big program to knock on every door. It's going to be when you and I pray about God leading us to relationships and pouring into people, investing in them. This is what I believe is the New Testament pattern. Now, let's look at our text this morning. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you'll, probably, you'll have it there in your bulletin, but also if you want to look in the text, Acts 1 and verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you may feel like I do, overwhelmed by the initial command. You put your name in here. I want you to go and to share the gospel. Anytime, and you'll find this is true, anytime God tells you to do something, He gives you the ability to do it. There is not a command in Scripture that God gives to you that He does not also provide the resources and the strength to be able to accomplish that. Don't ever forget that. But most of the time, the commands He gives are humanly impossible. Now, we'll still try. In other words, if he says, reach the world with the gospel, we'll still try our own way. But the only way that is effective is through his resources. So this morning, what I like from this text is, is just kind of lay some groundwork for the future, is to share with you what I feel are three indispensable resources that God gives to you. In other words, he says, I want you to go make disciples. We feel anxiety, okay? He says, it's okay. You know what? That's normal. You feel some anxiety about this, <laughs> about sharing your faith, about telling your story? You feel that anxiety? I've got resources for you. And there are three of them that I feel are, are indispensable for us to know, to understand, to have. The first of these, the first resource is his gospel. Is his, his word Gospel means good news. The good news is to work the message of Christ. So when he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. In other words, you will attest to the person and work of Christ, which is the gospel, the good news. Sometimes I like using the word good news because instead of saying gospel, because think people just have a, their own idea of what gospel means. But he says the good news is going to, designed to go to Jerusalem, that's local, Judea, that's regional, Samaria, that's cross-cultural, and the ends of the earth. That's the, even the most remote part of the earth. So what is the gospel? What is the good news? How do we become a Christian? How do you know that you have eternal life? Now, if I were to ask you this question, how do you know you're going to heaven? How do you know for sure? Now, a lot of us could talk a lot about it, well, and, and say a lot of true things. But I believe this, that every believer, the, the better equipped you are with the core, 
of the gospel. In other words, what is, we, we call it the sine qua non, the irreducible minimum. It is, it is, it is, you cannot get less than this. You have to have this. It is no gospel without this. And I think that every Christian needs to not only be able to know that, but to be able to simply articulate it. And I find that sometimes the more education you get, the more you know, the less simple you can be. I've seen that guy, guys go to, to Bible college and they go to seminary and they go on and get their doctorate and they can't say anything simply. <laughs> okay, that's a problem. That's a big problem because Jesus was incredibly simple. And he was the smartest man on the earth, but he was simple and he illustrated it in powerful ways. So what is the irreducible minimum, the core of the gospel? And I'd like to present that to you, and I'm not going to expand upon but I'll just give you the, the, what I feel, four pillars, four pillars to the gospel, the good news, eternal life. How does a person know they're a Christian? How do you know you're going to heaven? How can you be sure, absolutely sure, you know you're going to heaven? And I think, first of all, we begin with this one word, God, God. Now, you could start with yourself, but nothing else. Things don't start with you. They start with God. And I would say for my text, I would, the most familiar verse in the Bible is John 3.16. So I'm going to get all four of these from John 3.16. Okay, so you can go back to this and look at this. Number one, God. God, God loves you. It's consistent with our theme. God loves you. I've heard a lot of evangelists get up and say, the first thing you need to know is you're a sinner and you're going to hell. <laughs> That's really encouraging. <laughs> That's not where God starts. For God so loved the world. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? We begin with God, with the love of God. That's why the first thing I'd want someone to see on a sign is not repent or you're going to hell. Now, we could put that out coming into Lafayette. <laughs> repent or burn. Uh you know, be saved or what, you know. No, it is the love of God, the love of God. Not only do you be able to know that, understand that, communicate that, is to be able to say to a person, did you know this, that God loves you? Did you know that? Not only does, did, does God love you, he has an incredible plan for your life. That's a great truth, John three sixteen. Second, The second word, man. And, that, and you can put in, for God so loved the world, and that word, the word world can mean the physical earth, but it means here, humanity. God so loved the world. He loved man. He loved you. But man has a fallen condition. And there are a couple things about that that we need to know that, number one, man is a sinner. He is a sinner. He is a sinner by birth because his parents were sinners, and he inherited it, and he's a sinner by choice. He has made conscious decisions to sin. So twice over, I'm a sinner. Man is a sinner, and he cannot save himself. No amount of religion. Religion does not save. Church membership does not save. Baptism does not save. Nothing saves that man does. There's nothing I can do. So that's a pretty helpless situation. 
So God loves us, and he has a plan for our lives. Man, which is me, I'm a sinner, and I cannot save myself. There is nothing that I can do. Now, you typically ask a person, do you know you're going to heaven? Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. You say, well, why, why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I've lived a pretty good life. I've gone to church. I've done communion. I've been baptized. You know, none of those things get you to heaven. None of them. Nothing you do can get you to heaven. So man is a sinner and can't save himself. Third word, Christ. <laughs> Third word is Christ. Christ enters the picture and rescues us. He is the God-man. He is the one who came and he died for your sins on the cross. He, his blood was shed to wash away your sins, and he was your substitute, taking upon himself the judgment and wrath of God that you deserved. He died for your sins, and he offers to you the gift of eternal life. Isn't that incredible? Jesus to the rescue. This is the centerpiece, I think the centerpiece of these four pillars. God, man, God loves you, has a plan for your life. Man is a sinner, can't save himself. Christ died for your sins, and he offers to you the gift of eternal life. The last pillar is faith. Faith is believing. Faith is receiving. Faith is not just intellectual assent, acknowledging that, but, but, but it's actually putting your trust in something. And so how do you have salvation? You receive it by faith, believing. Simple faith. Simple faith. Now, I know I kind of went through those quickly, but those to me, that is the simple core of the gospel. That, those are the foundational pillars of the gospel. So in, in order for me to help someone see, how, how do you know you're going to heaven? And all of these come out of John 3.16. And all through the New Testament, all through the Bible, consistently, this is the message of salvation. You say, well, how is it that all these other churches add these other things? I said, you know, we always do that. We always want to add things. You know, well, you got to do this. You need to start tithing. So we think, you know what, we got some financial needs. So, you know, maybe if we tie tithing to salvation, our, our giving would go up. And we start good works, baptism, and all, and, you know, lots of nice, good things, but it's only Christ. Simple, clear, understandable. But God gives you that resource. He gives you his gospel, the resource so that you know simply how a person becomes a Christian. That's the first resource that he gives you. The second resource he gives you is your personal testimony or your personal experience. It is probably the most powerful thing you possess to be able to get in to helping someone else. It is your story. It is how that happened in your life that you know. And I think that when, when people visibly see your life change, it has an impact upon them. And while a lot of people are not going to listen to you preach a sermon, they'll listen to you tell your story. So here's how I do it. Sometimes I say, would you mind if I just shared with you how I came to know that I have eternal life? Do you mind if I share it? And a lot of people will say, sure. Now, if I say, do you, do you mind if I preach a 20-minute sermon, three points, and I, I have a poem and a story? Uh, I got to tell you what, I got I to run. <laughs> no, but they will hear your story. 
everyone here that has come to Christ has a story. My challenge is going to be to you to, to be very familiar and succinct with your story. In other words, don't wander all over, tell about everything in your life. Here's, what, here's how it would break down. Number one, your life before Christ. What was your life like before you ever knew about Jesus Christ? How did you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And how has your life been different since then? My challenge would be to everyone is to, to write that out so that you can clearly communicate that to someone who is really interested. And I used to think, you know what, my testimony is not that exciting. I think, you know what, I had a, you know years of drug abuse and alcohol, immorality, was in jail several times, and then at the age of four I got saved. Trying to think of some, you know, some spectacular. Listen, every salvation testimony is spectacular. I don't care if you grew up in a Christian home, had wonderful home situation, or you had the darkest years of growing up. Salvation is a gift from God, and you have a lot to thank Him for and praise Him for. So don't minimize that and share with joy the difference that Christ has made in your life. Your testimony is the most powerful thing you possess. And, and you weave that, you tell your story, then someone's going to ask about the love of God and man and sin and Christ and salvation and faith. But those you understand and you know and you can help them with. Acts 20, 24, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have put this up on the screen here. And this, is, this has become um, my life's verse. I used to have, my life's verse used to be when I started off in uh, probably 18 years of age was, was uh, Joshua 1, 8, but. This has become, when I say a life's verse is like the one verse in the Bible that I feel like I want to look at every day. And you're looking at the translation, I have Acts 20:24 MV, that's Matt's version. So I kind of use some of the words that I prefer uh, from the New Testament. How do I approach life? I said, but none of these things move me. None of these things. This is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. I thought, well, what things? I think, well, the longer you live, the more you realize there's been a lot of stuff that would knock you off track. A lot of things in my life that would knock me off track. But I've got to have that attitude. None of these things will move me. Hardship, difficulty, betrayal, pain, loss. And Paul went through all of these things infinitely more than what I've been through. But this was his resolve. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. And here's the part I love, to testify to the good news of the grace of God. Here's what your testimony is. It is, it is testifying of the good news, of the grace of God. It is testifying of the love of God. It is your story. Your story is declaring the truth of the grace and the goodness and the mercy and the love of God. It is your experience. It is what you have been through. And I find that not that, that is true not only for your salvation, but every time God's at work in your life. 
Every time he shows you something, teaches you something, brings you through a challenge, helps you, you have something to give a testimony about. You testify to the good news of his grace, of his goodness, of his love. There's an old song that says, you ask me know how, how I, I know, I know because he lives within my heart. How do I know he lives? He lives within my heart. And this should be your testimony, the welling up of the personal experience that you have had in coming to Christ and walking with Christ. And it is filled with imperfections, right? <laughs> Stumbling. Sometimes I wonder, why in the world do I go through that? Why in the world do I have to go through that? A few years later, I think, oh, yeah, now I can talk to this person about that. <laughs> Been there. They said, really? Something about from the relationship, personal, person to person, life on life, one by one. So that is the second. The third indispensable resource, and I think this is probably the most important, if you remember the first two, he gives you his gospel, his word, his truth. Very simple gospel, John 3.16. There are four pillars of this that you get your mind and heart around to understand how to share with someone. Very, very simple. Number two, it is your personal experience of having gone through that and your story to share that really is, is how this works. But the third indispensable resource is the Holy Spirit. A lot of times people talk about it. I like to say he, because the Holy Spirit is God. And when Jesus said in John 14 and John 16, it's good for you that I go away, the disciples are thinking, how can that be good? Because then I'll send the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in his physical presence, was not always there with them, but the Holy Spirit would be. And he says, I am going to send you a, he calls him a comforter, a helper, an advocate. And, and when he comes, you will receive power. In other words, you will have a divine enablement to do this. A strength greater than yourself. I'm thinking, Whew, that's good, because I was getting really anxious about all this about explaining the gospel, sharing my testimony, uh, seeing Boulder. He said, he is saying, I will be with you. This is how he's with us. Do you know in, the, in what we call the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this is how he's with us. And now every single person here, that is a Christian, that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come and go. He's always there, whether you recognize it or not. The problem is, a lot of us go through the whole day without ever thinking about it. Without realizing. He's right there, always. And He is there to help you be your advocate and give you strength and energy and discernment and wisdom. 
So he says, you will receive power. It's interesting how when Jesus first spoke to the disciples, he said, wait here until I send the Holy Spirit. Wait here. Now, most of us don't like doing, no, I'm I'm, going to get busy. I'm going to go out and do this. And I think a lot of evangelistic, evangelistic assaults on our community are done without the Holy Spirit. Without God, without His strength, all they are are pragmatic ideas of men to save the world. So we as believers have the gift, the resource of the truth, the gospel, the word, the testimony of of that word working in us to save us, and we have the Holy Spirit to give us everything we need. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He work, He's working all around us. You ever think about this? I have the Holy Spirit. He's in me. He's in me. Say, that's good because you're the pastor. The Holy Spirit's with the pastor. Every single one of you is a believer. He's there. And I'll tell you this. All through Boulder Valley, Holy Spirit's there working. Everywhere. He's already at work. You walk out these doors, you go downtown, He's at work everywhere. He's at work in you. He's working your friends. How about those obnoxious coworkers? How about those people that drive you nuts, those neighbors that are just, ugh? You think the Holy Spirit's working there? He's working everywhere. He's working in me, preparing me. And so if I'm thinking, walking out the doors, Lord, where are you working today? Who am I going to meet? One life at a time, one day at a time, one conversation at a time, it's all built on relationships. Maybe someone at Walmart, the cash register. You have a conversation. It may just be a short conversation, but it moves it forward. So if the Holy Spirit is at work, He's at work leading you to the right people, helping you know what words to say. I mean, I, I can tell you, there's so many times I've, been, I've had to go somewhere to see someone, and I'm thinking, I have no clue what to say. You could say, well, what would you go to school for? (laughs) I'm still like, what do I say? The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And he will be there to comfort you and help you. He will also take those words and help them understand. He will also work in that person's heart. He will also bring that person to Jesus and salvation. And he will cause them to grow. You can't do any of that yourself. You can't. But to know this, that we have God with us, God in us, God helping us, God giving us the words, God working in hearts, God working all through Boulder Valley through these relationships, we have everything that we need. We should not fear anxiety or stress or fear when the Lord's with us. But I think that a lot of us will go through an entire day without even acknowledging or thinking about that the Lord is with us. And depending upon Him in every relationship, we see problems, we get frustrated. Well, God may be doing a work. God may be doing something and bringing that person to salvation. He gives us a command that flows from His love. As we've shared over the last several months, love is stronger 
the extraordinary power of the love of God is good news and a story that cannot be held to ourselves. And he says to Valley Community Church, to every person here, I want you to go share this. I want you to go tell this. So my prayer is, your pastor, is I'm not announcing a campaign this morning that we're going to start. <laughs> I'm not announcing that we're going to organize everybody. You go down the street, you go down the street. My prayer is this, that God would touch our hearts with the love of God and that we would have a culture in this church of dependence upon the Lord, that we would, we would take these resources, not be overwhelmed, but we would have confidence and assurance. This is your story to tell. And there are people right now in your life, you work with, you live near, you're associated with, that need Christ. And God has given you everything you need. So our takeaway, I have three questions to ask. And these will be kind of like a homework as you process through this. Number one, can you communicate the gospel simply and clearly? In other words, take a John 3.16. If someone were to ask you, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? Could you simply and clearly and accurately explain that to them? Well, you can do this. This is not hard. I think the hardest part is the simple part. <laughs> Not that you get all four points. It's the simple part. Second question, do you have a personal testimony of experience? Could you articulate that? Now, I'm not going to make you stand up here in front of the church and say that, but, but maybe at lunch, maybe having a coffee, maybe someone says, well, tell me what happened to you. And you go, uh, you just start rambling about your whole life. No, could you very simply share your testimony? And number three, are you depending on the Holy Spirit? Every day you get up and you are depending on the Holy Spirit to direct your thoughts, your words, your relationships, every gospel opportunity. You, folks, you don't need to kick the door down. The Holy Spirit will kick the door down. You don't need to go out and make it happen because you can't make it happen. He will make it happen. But if, if we live our lives with confidence in his gospel, we have confidence in our personal experience that is real, it's authentic, and we have confidence in the Holy Spirit who is working already in people's lives to work through us, we will see fruit. And that's why when you see in the early church at one time 3,000 were saved and 5,000 were saved and, and people were all through the ages, people have come to Christ this way. My prayer is this, that that will be our approach, that when we want to see Boulder Valley come to Christ, it will be through relationships that God has already given to us, one life at a time, one day at a time, one conversation at a time. Father, we thank you for your word, and while we tend to get overwhelmed with the needs of this community and the, the just incredible numbers in this world that still need Christ. I pray we would not fear. We would not be anxious. We would not dread. But we would have joy and confidence that you have given us all that we need, all the resources we need, 
to testify of your love. And Lord, I pray that every day this week you would remind us of these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.